0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you about the
1: disappearance and murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. So throw back a shot of espresso
0: and let's dive in.
1: Dorothy Jane Scott and her son, Sean, lived in California at Dorothy's aunt's house near Anaheim. At the time of our story in 1980, Dorothy is 32 and her son, Sean, is four. Sean's father, Dennis, is not in the picture and he actually lived in Missouri at the time of this story. Dorothy was described by her friends as kind-hearted, compassionate, and a hard worker. Her brother described her as kind and saying that she was always willing to give up anything and everything for anybody she cared about. Dorothy worked for the Swinger Psych Shop, which was conjoined to Custom John's Head Shop. And at the Swinger Psych Shop, they sold psychedelic beads, lava lamps, things like that. And it was actually previously owned by her father, Jacob. She worked there as a back office secretary. And had been doing that for years. When she would go to work, Dorothy would drop her son, Sean, off at her mother and father's house in Anaheim and leave him there for the day. And her father, Jacob, and mother, Vera, would watch Sean It was the beginning of 1980 when Dorothy started to receive some really strange calls from a man who she reported to her family about. She told her mom, her dad. She was very close with them and she told them that she was getting these calls. And she's like, the weird thing is, I can't tell who it is, but I recognize the voice. What was he saying on the phone calls? So that's the interesting thing. Sometimes he would threaten her and sometimes he would tell her how much he loved her and how beautiful she was and how he wanted to like take care of her. He would call her work sometimes or home, and he would tell her like what she was wearing that day and things like that.
0: This already is reminding me of Richard Farley, the case we covered a while back, the stalker case. It's weird how when there's someone kind of obsessive like that, it always ranges from anger to love and compassion.
1: It was really back and forth. One night, he called her and told her to go out to her car alone. And when she got out there, which, why she went, I don't know. Hold on. Yeah. (laughs) That's horrifying. He's just like, he calls her, says, go out to your car. And she does. And she finds on her windshield one dead red rose. And that's it. Dead? Like, just just dead Not not alive rose like it'd been pressed or something no i don't even think it'd been pressed i think it <laughs> was just like he had gone out bought a rose watched it die and then i don't know why that like, wilt
0: i don't <laughs> know why that's tripping me up but i just need i have follow-up questions about it i need to know how it got to be because you don't typically do that you can like give pretty vivacious flowers not yeah i think he was trying to send a message yeah some subliminal stuff there
1: Yeah, I would say he's using subliminal messages in that phone call, but it doesn't always go that way. And another phone call shortly after that, he says, quote, okay, now you're going to come my way. And when I get you alone, I'll cut you up into little bits. So no one will ever find you.
0: End quote. Sounds pretty sketchy.
1: I don't know that I want him calling me. So, yes. And she just, she had no idea who this guy was? She had no idea. She thought it was weird because she's like, I definitely recognize this voice, but like, I can't put a place on it. Like, I can't figure out where it's from, you know? And she like was telling her mom and dad about this all the time. And she actually got so scared that she was like, I'm going to start taking self-defense classes. And she considered getting a gun, but she wasn't really into guns and she decided not to get one because... Her four-year-old son was in the home and she didn't want anything to accidentally happen. So she decided against the gun and just started doing the self-defense classes.
0: Erica, I think that's something we should go do sometime together is take some self-defense classes. I, I think that would be a good idea, Abby, but I don't know if I'm coordinated enough to do the self-defense classes. That's how you go practice. So you get more coordinated. Got it. I think you could do it.
1: If you say so. On the evening of May 28, 1980, Dorothy had a meeting that she had to go to at work at Swingers. On the way to the meeting, Dorothy dropped her son, Sean, off at her parents' house like she did every time she went to work, and her parents said that everything seemed normal. She was communicating with them normally. She seemed in a happy mood. There were no concerns, and so she goes to this meeting and and at the meeting, one of her coworkers, Conrad Bostron, started to not feel very well and he wasn't looking great. And they were like, something's not right. Let's take you to the hospital because he had this red mark on his arm that was swelling really big and they got really concerned. So Dorothy decided to take him to the hospital and her other coworker, Pamela Head, decided to tag along on this trip. They took him to the ER at UC Irvine Medical Center in Dorothy's car and on the way to the hospital Dorothy said I have to stop at my parents house on the way there to check on my son because I need to like tell my parents I'm not going to be home right after the meeting and this is why since this was 1980 they didn't have cell phones so she couldn't just text or call her parents real quick so she was just like we'll just stop on the way to the hospital one thing that pam and conrad state that was a little weird about the trip when they stopped at her parents house dorothy went inside wearing a black scarf and came out wearing a red scarf she switched while she was in there and that was the only thing that she switched but they have no idea why and they don't know if like maybe there was something on the black scarf so she switched to the red scarf or what it was
0: yeah if maybe it was cold and she wanted a warmer scarf or vice
1: versa i have no idea it's just it comes into play later so that's why i'm oh, okay. sticking it out there <laughs> but um, i know it's a weird thing for me to just put in there but that's the only thing that was a little bit out of the normal with anything with Dorothy that night.
0: I think it would seem more normal if they were going on some outing, but they were going to like the hospital. So why that is odd. I I have no idea. Maybe she thought Black
1: seemed too dreary for a hospital. I, I have no idea. So they get to the hospital and Dorothy and Pam are waiting in the waiting room together, just chatting, talking with each other, catching up, waiting for Conrad to finish with his
0: doctor visit. So, it, it's sounded like Conrad was having issues, but he wasn't, like, life-threatening. Well... It sounds fairly casual, considering. Well, so,
1: they weren't sure what was going on. It turns out that he had a spider bite from a black widow spider, and he had, like, the poison coursing through his veins from that.
0: So, a little life-threatening, but not to the point where... I mean, it was interesting that it wasn't serious enough in their head that... Because they made a stop. You know, I definitely thought that was weird, too, but because I'm like, they could have gotten to the hospital and then
1: called home to sell, tell them that Dorothy wasn't going to be home in time, or she could have dropped them off at the hospital, then ran home. I, I don't know, but I don't know that if they thought it was super emergent when they were on their way or what the thought process was that was going through all of their heads around 11 o'clock at night Conrad comes out from visiting with the doctor and he gets in line with Pam at the pharmacy to get his medication Dorothy at this time goes out she's like I'm gonna go get the car Conrad's not really in like a state where he should be having to walk through the parking lot to the car so I'll just go get the car I'll drive up I'll pick you guys up and we'll go and they're like okay cool So Pam and Conrad get his medication. As soon as they do, they go outside and they're waiting right outside at the front door waiting for Dorothy. And about 20 minutes later, they're still waiting and they're super annoyed. But at this point, they're like, where is Dorothy? And finally, about 20 minutes in, they see her car coming toward them.
2: The mystery has been solved. So please go to FireDeptCoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, all the way to the We Just Hit a Million Orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. So at this point, Pam and Conrad are waiting on the sidewalk in front of the hospital for Dorothy to come get them and they see her car coming toward them, but something isn't right. The car was driving very fast for a parking lot and very fast for somebody who had plans to come to a complete stop and the high beams were on, which was blinding Pam and Conrad and they couldn't see it into the car at all. The car ended up driving right past them and Pam and Conrad said that they were like waving their arms trying to get her attention because they're like, hey, we're here, and the car just like flew right past.
0: Are they absolutely certain it was her car, not someone with just the same car? They were certain it was her car. I don't know the
1: exact details of why they were so certain that it was her car. Maybe the parking lot was really empty and there was no other cars there or something where they were at, but they were certain that it was her car. So they were waving and everything, and because of the high beams and the all the light that's shining into their eyes, they can't even see into the car to tell if Dorothy can see them waving at them, or if Dorothy's even the one driving the car. So they see the car drive straight out of the parking lot and it takes a right out of the parking lot and just goes down the road. And Conrad and Pam are like, well, maybe she forgot something at home or there was an emergency with her son or something. And they're like, we're just going to wait here for her. There's a few things in that thought process that I find flaws with. One, how would she have found out if there was an emergency with her son if she didn't have a cell phone or any communication at that
0: time? I mean, true. I don't see how she would know. And
1: two, why wouldn't she tell them, like, hey, I forgot something. I'll be back.
0: Well, if she forgot something, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would not she just get them still? If it was an emergency, I guess, and she just didn't even have time to stop? I don't... None of that thought process makes sense. If I were them in this situation, I feel like I would think something was up. Like Exactly. So here's my question for you. If I
1: took you somewhere and I just left you without saying a word, pretend we didn't have cell phones. I just left without saying a word, fly off. I like You could see me drive right past you. How long are you going to wait there before you do something about it?
0: Uh, I wouldn't wait. Personally, because I know you wouldn't just take off on me. Um, so I'd probably go back inside and try to make some phone calls and figure out something, what's going on. I don't know since they were just co workers, if that's something maybe totally out of reason for her to just leave them and ditch them. I'm not sure their relationship, but if it's a decent person, you would think they wouldn't just do that. I would like to think that you wouldn't just do that, but
1: I don't know. Like you said, I, we don't know the relationship exactly that they had together, but. Dorothy had volunteered to take Conrad to the hospital. Everybody described her as so kind and everything. It just doesn't seem like she would just drive off and leave you there. It definitely
0: seems out of character.
1: But Pam and Conrad decide to wait two hours for Dorothy to come back.
0: I mean, there's no one else they could go inside and call or even just...
1: Oh, two hours in, they go inside and tell hospital security that their friend Dorothy is missing. Huh. And... Then they call Dorothy's parents to see if she had been by to pick Sean up, and they're like, no, she's not been home at all. So the parents get really concerned, and they call the police to report her missing. They're like, something's not right. But how often do we see it where the police are like, you know what? She's 32. She's an adult. If she just wants to up and leave, that's, I mean, that's her right. She took her own vehicle. She, I mean... It's not like she did committed a crime. I mean, yeah, like rude for
0: her to leave you there,
1: but she did nothing wrong technically, in the eyes of the law.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate that the police can't sometimes objectively look at it and say, "Hey, if the family and them are coming forward and saying she's missing, we should look into it." You know, sometimes they're they don't want to believe it's something like that, so. We see it in cases like this where they, like, she's an adult. Or there's even been cases where they're like, we can't file a missing person because they're not under 18. it's like, that's insane. That's not real life. Like, people go missing regardless of age. Exactly. I mean, we have, like, an entire podcast about people that go
1: missing. And it's, I mean, how many times is it under the age of 18? We try not to do too many kid episodes, so... I mean, it's it happened so often and it blows my mind how much police are just like, nah, nothing. We'll just not investigate it. And it just it hurts. (laughs) But a few hours later, uh, around 430 in the morning on May 29th, 1980, Dorothy's 1973 white Toyota station wagon was found in an alleyway in Santa Ana, California, engulfed in flames.
0: Not a good sign.
1: No. An even worse sign is the fact that all of her belongings were in the car, but Dorothy was not. Also not a good sign. No. Unless you think of it like, oh, I guess maybe she's alive somewhere and she just caught her car on fire and then left. Totally normal, right? See it all the time. This is really the point where police decide that they're gonna start investigating the case because they're like, something's not right. Her car was just on fire. And I'm glad that they finally started taking this case seriously at this point. I mean, luckily, it was only like five hours after she had gone missing. So they were able to start investigating it pretty quickly. When police start investigating, they tell her parents, Jacob and Vera, to keep a really low profile. They're like, don't do anything. Just keep it on the down low. We're going to solve it.
0: And did they inform the police about the random phone calls at this point? I believe that they did inform the police at this point. If not, they did a week later
1: when Dorothy's mom, Vera, received a phone call. It was a male voice and he said, are you related to Dorothy Jane Scott? And she's like, I I am like, I'm her mom. And she's like hopeful, like maybe he has information. He knows something that happened. She gets really excited and he just goes, I've got her
0: and then hangs up. Well, that's effing horrifying. I agree. I agree.
1: Absolutely horrifying. I don't know what I would do in that situation. And Jacob decided that whatever the police are doing, it's been a week. That's enough. They're done. He's going to take it into his own hands. And so he immediately goes to the press and talks to the Santa Ana Register. And they run an article about Dorothy and how she's missing. And they're trying to get the information out there to see if anybody knows anything. The same day it was published, the editor from the Santa Ana Register named Pat Riley gets a phone call and he picks up the phone and there's a man on the phone and he goes, I want to talk about Dorothy. And so Pat's like, "Okay, like, what, what do you know about Dorothy? Tell me. Tell me what you know. He goes, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. So I killed her, end quote. And I'm not sure why, but Pat
0: kept talking to him. I think he was just trying to get more information out of him, you know? That makes sense. See if you can find anything to figure out who this man is and, you know, incriminating even more. And when I was doing this research, I saw that, like, it's pretty common for people to call into newspapers
1: and say, I committed this crime. Which, I'm not sure why. You're calling into newspapers to confess to committing random crimes that you didn't commit, but Okay.
0: Oh, you mean like people calling in and say they did it even though they didn't? Yeah. I think some people in a sick way think it's funny. I can't imagine Can I? how, but... You I know. don't know. I also can't imagine how people are murdering people, so... Well, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, there's a lot of things
1: that I can't imagine that people do. And so he stays on the phone to see if, like, this is a real thing that could have happened, if there's any stock in what the man on the phone is saying. And so he... Kind of starts asking the caller some questions, and he knows a lot of different things about Dorothy that had not been released publicly yet. And he knows that Conrad had gone to the hospital the night of the 28th. He knows that Conrad had a Black Widow spider bite. He knew about the fact that she was wearing a red scarf. He said that Dorothy called him from the hospital and asked him to come pick her up. And Pam comes forward about this and she's like there's no way that Dorothy called him from the hospital she couldn't have done that we were together in the waiting room the entire time we were there Dorothy left for a few seconds to go to the bathroom right before we left but that was it
0: well I kind of want to go back to the fact that he knew about the spider bite because that means he was with her after that information was told to them like he had to have been at the hospital after or after that that he finds out
1: exactly and it's it kind of shows just how much like he was stalking her because he knew that she had switched from a black scarf to a red scarf
0: which would which, indicate he, they were he was following her.
1: And about about the spider bite, I mean all of it is just like he had to have been following her or she somehow knew him and talked to him about it, but I mean we won't know who she talked to in her last moments, obviously. But i'm assuming if she told somebody it would have been somebody that she would have known somebody that she knew that did it that she felt comfortable enough to talk to it about or somebody that she didn't know and that was stalking her and just paying attention to everything that was going on in her life which we already knew that he was stalking her because he had known other things and like what she was wearing on certain days when he would call this man kept calling and taunting dorothy's parents every wednesday every single wednesday did she go missing on a Wednesday? Yes, she did.
0: Okay, I was going to say, I was wondering why that Wednesday would be significant. Yep.
1: It was every Wednesday because she went missing on a Wednesday. And so every single Wednesday for the next four years.
0: They were never able to trace it or
1: anything? They tried. They had the police trying to trace this call. It was connected and but he would always hang up just before they had the chance to trace the call. It's like he knew that they were tracking him. The calls would only come when Vera was home alone, not ever when Jacob was home, which is interesting as well. He would claim that he was holding Dorothy hostage. He would say that he was torturing her. He would say that he killed her. He would talk about how he loved her. I mean, he would say anything and everything to this mom, that was so emotionally tormenting to her that I can't even imagine what that would be like to go through after just having lost your daughter
0: well and it's interesting too because in stalking cases you don't see that like residualness like you do in this where typically if they go after what they're focused on or the person they're focused on it kind of ends there not to continue on and calling household which makes me wonder if maybe he did kill her and then was trying to look for some way to hold on to her and that was through her mom
1: and that's kind of what i think but i mean i, I don't really know it's just it's a hard because it's like did he actually kill her or was it just some psycho who was just trying to get some attention and just he was
0: having fun knowing that he was tormenting someone yeah i mean it's possible this guy had nothing to do with her disappearance and just latched on or maybe even the stalker wasn't the one who was responsible and it was someone else and the stalker was latching there was a time
1: in april of 1984 where the caller called the house and he made a mistake vera wasn't home it's just jacob so jacob answers the phone and they decided that it was the same man that had been calling because it was a Wednesday, which was the day that he called every week. And it was around the same time that he'd been calling for the last four years.
0: You know what I wonder is why they didn't set it up to be like that. So that when he called, someone else answered. I think I would have gotten a new phone number. Yeah, or even just, I mean, something like that or something to trip him up. Like, Because you said he specifically would try to call and speak to Vera. Mm-hmm. It would have been... I wonder if they ever had a day where they're like, hey, we have like the police here and the dad here and we're maybe Vera is going to be here, but someone else is answering this phone and just wait that 24 hours on that Wednesday.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they did try different little tactics like that, but it seemed like it was always Vera that was answering the phone, which I don't know if she was maybe trying to look for some sort of closure and hoped that maybe one day he would just give it to her.
0: Was she telling them? Like, did the police know that he had been calling?
1: Yeah, the police were trying to trace the call. So, they were like, I think they might have even been there on Wednesdays waiting for the call to come in.
0: Yeah, I guess I just wonder why they just had her answer every time.
1: When that call came through and Jacob answered the phone, though, they said nothing. Jacob said, hello, and he got no response from the other person on the phone. And the other person hung up pretty quickly. And... After this, the call stopped for multiple weeks. And so there's a lot of theories about why the man didn't speak if it was the same man that had been calling. And one of the theories is that, remember how I said Dorothy had said that she kind of recognized the voice of the caller on the phone but couldn't pinpoint it? They think that maybe Jacob would have known the person better and been able to pinpoint the voice of the caller if he had heard it.
0: It just kind of raises in a, that I, I keep going back to why they kept setting up like that. Like, would it have been on speakerphone? I have
1: no idea why they didn't do speakerphone. And if they did, then it wasn't released. But it is said that Jacob had never heard the voice of the man before on the phone, which is why they think that I don't know if Jacob was just never home because they always said that they called when Vera was home alone. So Jacob must was been gone at work during the day. And that's when the man was calling the house.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I mean, we don't have the answer to that. It's just like, it's one of those things that just probably sticks in other people's heads, too. It just seems odd that they wouldn't have, like, maneuvered around that situation, but who knows.
1: Later in 1984, on August 6th, Dorothy's partial remains were found in Anaheim, California, by a construction worker. And I would like to apologize to Abby before I say this next part. But her remains were found with the remains of an animal on top of her bones as well. And it wasn't just like a wild animal. I'm not going to go into too many details. But it was an animal that's more of a pet. So they had a lot of questions about it because Dorothy didn't have a pet. So they had no idea where this animal came from. But it was obvious that the two had been buried pretty much at the same time, which is just really sad. They found a watch with her that she had been wearing and the watch had stopped on May 29th, 1980 at 1230 in the morning, which I think it's weird that the watch batteries either went out right at that night or I don't know if somehow the attacker took, made the watch stop at that time to kind of give an idea
0: of when it had happened. Or there's some type of maybe like forcefulness that broke the watch and that's why it stopped working.
1: Which is possible. I Yeah, I don't know the exact details of why the watch stopped working. I just know that it did. And they were able to officially determine that the remains were that of Dorothy. And they were not able to determine the cause of death as she had already been dead for four years at this time. Which does mean that when the person was calling and tormenting Vera, they were calling and not being honest about the fact that they were torturing Dorothy. That was a complete lie. So they either had nothing to do with it and they were just in their heads imagining that they were doing random things or they had been a part of it and just decided to try to torture her mom throughout the calls the last call was received shortly after her remains were found and the man said quote is dorothy home end quote and that was the last call that the family ever received from this man So, let's talk about some of the suspects involved with this case. There isn't a specific person that they're like, oh, this 100% had to be the man, but there are some pretty decent suspects. They believe that one of the suspects is that maybe it was someone that was involved with swingers where she worked and that that was why she recognized the voice and why the man didn't want to talk when Jacob answered the phone because Jacob was the previous owner of it so he might have known the voice of the person a little bit more it also explained why he knew what she was wearing frequently why he knew specific details about her life from day to day if he did see her at work or even work with her he could have been one of the delivery men that she like signed off on deliveries with because she was a back office secretary. It could have been an employee or a previous employee that had worked there when Jacob had owned the place and he had just met Dorothy through that. He could have even been somebody that worked at the head shop that was attached to the building. And these all are like plausible and I could see it just being somebody, especially since she did think that she knew the voice of the stalker and they do believe that the stalker is the one that ended up committing the crime is their biggest theory.
0: It's one of those things where it's possible it wasn't the stalker, but it's almost too big of a coincidence to not be. I agree.
1: I kind of think it's the stalker. There is a theory that I'm going to go into briefly because if I go into it for too long, it'll be a whole nother episode. But there's the theory that Maybe the Golden State Killer did it, and it wasn't at all her stalker. In 2018, they were able to identify the Golden State Killer as Joseph James D'Angelo, which I think we're going to cover an episode about that in the future So we'll go into more detail about that. He was active from 1974 to 1986. So that would have fallen right in that timeline with the 1980s. And there is a little bit of a connection. So in 1979, Keith and Patrice Harrington were killed by the Golden State Killer three months after Dorothy Jane Scott had been abducted. So they were killed August 19th, 1980 uh, at their home in Orange County. And the connection was that Keith Harrington actually worked at the UC Irvine Hospital where Conrad had been taken. So we do know that the Golden State Killer did find somebody through the hospital and commit a crime using that but he wasn't known for the stalking and the tormenting and all the calls and stuff so if it wasn't the stalker and it was the golden state killer then whoever continued to call Vera had nothing to do with the crime and they were just trying to torment her for their own entertainment
0: did they ever investigate Sean's dad
1: they did investigate him they interviewed him but he had an airtight alibi and I mean, he was living in Missouri, and it was able to be proven that he was in Missouri still at the time of this murder. I think one of the suspects that a lot of people really think might have had something to do with it was named Mike Butler. He was the previous owner of the Custom John's Head Shop that was connected to the Swinger Shop, and he was rumored to be unstable. He really, he was also rumored to have ties to cult activities, and he lived alone in the Santiago mountains and
0: people just really thought that he was this odd guy who you kind of wanted to steer clear of. We've known a couple of those. It's like something's just off. Did he have a criminal past? I don't know if he did.
1: There wasn't a lot that I could find about him. I did find that he had passed away in 2014, but other than that, i couldn't find too too much information about him Dorothy's son Sean though is grown up and he so he'd be in about his 40s now and he believes that Mike Butler is the one that did it that's his theory but there's no evidence and so the police obviously couldn't pin it on him without evidence the reason that Sean believes it could have been Mike is because he would have known Dorothy's schedule and would have known what she was wearing because Mike's sister worked with Dorothy at the shop. So he would have been in and out of the shop sometimes to see his sister and because he was the previous owner of the store connected to hers. The other theory that I actually found online, I don't know if the police have looked into this one, honestly. This is one that I can completely see happening. So I'm going to go into this one Stick with me for a minute because I know it might sound a little crazy. And at first I was like, no. And then the more research I did and the more like, even just telling you this episode now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could 100% see it. Do you have any idea where I'm going to go with this?
0: No. <laughs> okay. What about Pam and Conrad? Oh, uh, you know, earlier when you're talking about them being weird at the hospital, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to come into play later. I forgot about them until just now. But I mean, they're... How they acted immediately following seeing Dorothy, air quotes, drive off really fast. Maybe not Dorothy, her car drive away very fast. It it raised some, it raised my eyebrows a couple times.
1: Yeah. So, that was why I asked you how long you'd wait after you saw that happen. Because they waited two hours before they did anything. And the first thing that they did was report it to security at the hospital.
0: And... Is there video that shows them at the hospital that full two hours? I That's what I don't know. I Like I said, I don't know that the police even investigated them. Because two hours is... Enough by time. By all means, enough time.
1: A hundred percent enough time. And it wasn't that far away that her body was found. It was the same town, same area. So there's a lot of things. I couldn't find motive. I couldn't find anything like that. But circumstantially, it could have happened. And... Part of it is that maybe there was some weird connection that Pam and Conrad had with each other and they felt like Dorothy was in the way or something and maybe Conrad was the one that was stalking Dorothy and he was the one that was making the calls. Maybe the one that was stalking her and making the calls was somebody completely different but it would make sense if Conrad was the one making the calls because she recognized the voice but couldn't pinpoint it and... It somebody that worked with her so he would have been seeing her daily and known about her life and like what she was wearing to work and stuff the theory is maybe that they pretended to go to the hospital for conrad maybe he somehow faked the bite like if he had like just like a bee sting or something like that and was like well, let's pretend because i don't know if they ever checked to make sure that he actually did have a black widow spider bite or if they just made that up because nobody knows that they even went to the hospital in the first place. Like they could have left the office from work to go to the hospital quotes. And then they would have had that entire time from the time they left the meeting at work until midnight at one o'clock in the morning when they finally tell the hospital security and then tell like call her parents to do something.
0: And I wonder if police at the time checked with the hospital records in the hospital to make sure that's actually what happened or not. And just didn't release that i really hope they do because but if they didn't
1: i mean this is a theory that i kind of honestly i i think that the theory of pam and conrad the theory of the golden state killer and the theory of mike butler are all kind of i think they all have the same amount of stock in them like
0: same amount of evidence same amount of i mean it's all circumstantial for all of them It's interesting because we just did Lizzie Borden, and it's kind of similar like that where it's like there's all these people it could be, but then it couldn't be, but also circumstantially, maybe you can make it fit. Yeah. the only So I want to say this too.
1: I did think about the fact that, so they told hospital security what was going on and then called her parents. And the question was maybe that was to alibi themselves that they were actually at the hospital, but part of me wonders, too, if maybe they had to tell security like what was going on because they needed to borrow a phone since they didn't have a cell phone. So that, to me, I, I tried to think of it from all different angles. And I'm like, I could see them telling security because they're like, this happened to my friend. I need to borrow the hospital's phone. But they also maybe could have just told the front desk. I don't know how strict the hospital was, I guess. And I also don't know if the hospital records were checked. As for the Golden State Killer, I mean, he was active and... Other than the stalking, but everything else could fit just fine. And one of his other victims had been at that exact same hospital just months later. And as for Mike, I mean, he's odd and he has the ability to know the things about her. And maybe he was the stalker and maybe somebody else committed the crime. I don't know. But there's all of this stuff. and There's actually a case in July of 1982 where another female named patricia snyder went missing and she had made a call saying her car had broken down and then she just vanished she disappeared and her car was found a few hours later on fire
0: in a field just like dorothy's in the same area
1: yeah so it was within like a 35 mile radius of where Dorothy's car had been found. There was also no sign of Patricia at the scene of her car. All of her belongings were in there. And originally they thought that she had been kidnapped, but the difference with Patricia is they never found her body. So they don't know that if she was ever murdered or if she was kidnapped or if she just went away on her own which is a major difference and also patricia had never received any threatening phone calls that she had told anyone so there are a few differences but the thing that really connected to the two cases was it was shortly after each other they were pretty close and the cars were both on fire unfortunately jacob scott passed away in 1994 and vera scott passed away in 2002 and neither of them had any closure on what had happened to their daughter However, her son, Sean, remains dedicated to finding answers and closure for what had happened to his mother.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at CrimeOverCoffeePod at Outlook.com. Also, all of our resources can be found in the show notes of each episode.